From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Patrick Henningsen and TNT. All right, welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to TNT Today's News Talk. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. Thank you guys for joining us for the second hour of this live broadcast. And a big thank you to everybody in the TNT chat community. We see the numbers rising there during the show. Appreciate all you guys and the work you do in there, sharing reference links, sharing the memes, creating the banter, making that the community during this live broadcast. You guys are amazing. Thank you very much for your participation there as well. Now, we have a very special guest who's joining us this hour. We told you we're going to have a special guest. Uh, She is joining us on the line right now. Uh, She is many things, uh, but you may know her as uh, a journalist, but also as an important activist and a voice for human rights, and particularly with the situation we're witnessing right now unfolding uh, in Gaza, in the Middle East. Her name is Yvonne Ridley. Some of you, uh, she needs no introduction. She's also author of a fantastic book. Actually, she is a prolific uh, writer and advocate for uh, In the Hands of the Taliban in her memoirs, but uh, she's joining us on the line right now. Uh, Yvonne, thank you for joining us on TNT. My pleasure. Yvonne, I know you're very busy. We appreciate your time. Um, You've got a lot on your plate, I'm sure, with what's going on right now, especially in the Middle East. And I want to cut right to the chase, Yvonne. Firstly, I want to get your uh, general feelings and assessment. Looking back now, we're in, I think we're in the ninth week of this crisis, uh, that sort of this phase of the crisis that began on October 7th, um, your general thoughts and reflections on the situation in Gaza right now. But go ahead, Yvonne. You know, I keep drawing parallels with the horrific events of 9-11. And there was uh, such a um, outpouring of rage, uh, a desire for revenge, during that period, and we see the same um, here with what happened to Israel on October the 7th. And psychologically, it has damaged an entire nation just in the same way as 9-11 psychologically wrecked um, America. But the one thing that I would urge everyone to do, which is what I said back in September 2001, is just take a deep breath and ask the question, why? Why did this happen? Why did it happen to us? Why were we targeted? And if only that question was asked, then the world would be a much better place. Um, If the American people had only been Um, able to sit back and ask, why did 9-11 happen to us? I don't think there would have been a war in Iraq. There certainly wouldn't have been one in Afghanistan. And, of course, if the Israeli people had just asked, why did this happen to us? Because what is happening now in Gaza, I'm quite confident, is not in their name, in the majority of um, the Israeli population. In fact, one of the most vocal elements of um, Israel today are the families of the hostages. 
And again, you know, I look back to my situation when I was held by the Taliban and subsequently learned what my family went through. And um, I see these same tortured souls wondering about the fate of, of their relatives that have been held hostage by Hamas. And they, um, they hold one person responsible for the plight that they now find themselves in, and that is Benjamin Netanyahu. And while a lot of right-wing commentators are rushing to blame Hamas, the Israeli people blame Netanyahu, which is quite interesting. All the polls show that they overwhelmingly blame him for their lack of security, and they want him gone. And, and from, from the British perspective, you've got a unique perspective, Yvonne, uh, because you have spent time uh, in Central Asia, you spent time in the Middle East, you spent time in different cultures, different communities, um, as well as being based in Europe and the UK. But when you're dealing with this issue, especially the Israeli-Palestinian issue specifically, and now with this latest, uh, this latest sort of upheaval uh, with with the situation in Gaza, there's a gulf of understanding that people in the West have in Britain, uh, in the United States, especially. You you, you mentioned about the uh, the kind of I, I don't want to use the term that's been used so often, Islamophobic, but uh, you're, we're kind of in that neighborhood of of thinking here um there's a gulf of understanding about the situation there there's a fear of muslims there's a fear of anything islamic it was very much in the post 9 11 era yvonne we saw a wave of this and the media pushed it i think certain politicians were pushing it as well and it really clouds people's understanding of the actual situation. I think it's a major obstacle. What are your thoughts and reflections on that being in the West, but also having your personal experience um, as well? How, explain your thoughts on, on this problem. Well, there certainly is a feeling of deja vu with regards to Islamophobia and the rush to try and link what is happening on the ground in Gaza now to um, Islam is totally wrong. This is not a war about religion. This is a war about territory, and it's as simple as that. Um, and to conflate it with religion is wholly wrong. But unfortunately, when we enter these twilight zones of fear and panic, um, some politicians will take advantage and start to whip up things like racism and Islamophobia. And uh, I'm really quite fearful at the moment um, for Muslims who are being attacked for wearing a kafaya, for having a beard, uh, for wearing a hijab. And But I'm also fearful as well for uh, Jewish communities outside Israel, who, although might not be uh, directly in the line of fire, um, will no doubt feel under threat because of what has happened over the centuries in history to them. 
So we've got two communities that are on edge um, in in this uh, this terrible genocide, and there is no other word for it. It is a genocide. And what's more, we all have front row seats to it. We're watching a genocide unfold on our TV screens, screens in it live, and it's horrific. I can no longer watch the news for a long time. Usually I have the television on in the background when I'm doing my work, but I have it switched off because the images that are coming through, and I'm not talking about the BBC, which is very sanitized and, and uh, is doing itself in a disservice in its attempt to be impartial. I'm talking about Al Jazeera, where the heroic Palestinian journalists on the ground are paying the blood price for delivering the news to us. Today on the internet, there's a picture of a young man who was arrested three months ago and put on what the Israelis call administrative detention, which in essence is very much like George Bush's global war on terror, which just takes people off the street and holds them indefinitely without trial, without charge. And this young man was released today. And there's a picture before and after. And, and the picture before, we see a healthy-ish looking uh, young Arab man with quite a plump face. Three months on, we are looking at a skeletal individual with hollow eyes, someone who, I have to say, when I saw the images, it took me back to the, and people will go crazy when I say this, it took me back to the images that I saw of Holocaust survivors. People who were gaunt, had very sharp, pinched features. And, um, and, and this is what I saw when I looked at this young Palestinian man. Now the International Red Cross, has been trying to get into Israeli prisons because we're hearing some very disturbing stories coming out of the prisons. Of course, they can't be verifi verified. Um, and the International Red Cross has tried to get access and Israel won't let them in. And you have to wonder why? Why won't uh, Israel let uh, the Red Cross have access to these people, but the prisons have been cut off to the Red Cross for the last three months, in fact, since October 7. And, uh, you know, when October 7 happened, the whole world was supporting and sympathetic to Israel. But it's taken three months and the Israeli authorities, not the people, the authorities have squandered all of that goodwill. And now people are turning against them and starting to question what is Israel all about. And uh, 
it's not looking good in terms of hearts and minds. Israel has already lost that war. And I'm not convinced that they're winning the current war, which they say is that their strategic aim is to destroy Hamas. But you can't kill an idea. So, you know, th there are so many questions to ask. And uh, I, I want to talk uh, quickly on, I want to get your your point on this. And then I want to talk about the UK uh, political reaction uh in recent days but your your story everybody is familiar with most people who who know you yvonne um when you were in captivity uh people were expecting these reports or you know when you're talking finally able to talk to the world uh that you had a horrific detention you were tortured of course that wasn't true and people were surprised many people were surprised not all but many were surprised by how well you were treated by uh, the taliban who were keeping you uh in, in as a as a captive at the time and we in that hearts and minds point that you made yvonne this is a big problem with the West and Israel is that the captives who are being uh, held by Hamas, uh, when they're released, they're saying how well they were treated. Um, they seem to be cordial relations between them during the handoff with the uh, the International Red Cross. And it, this become a it's become a PR disaster for the government in Israel, for Netanyahu, so much so that people have accused him of wanting to halt the ceasefire in exchanges because it was turning into a PR nightmare for Israel. Can you comment on this dynamic? Because I think this is really, this has been a really important point in all this recently, but go ahead. Well, it wasn't just damaging for Netanyahu, who really has nothing to lose. He knows that when this war is over, he is finished. The Israeli people will not forget October, um, October the 7th. They will um, continue to hold him responsible for it. And uh, he was hanging by a thread politically anyway. Now his future as leader of um, Israel is finished completely finished. So he is a man who has nothing to lose, which makes him a very dangerous individual. But his supporters have lots to lose. Uh, US President Joe Biden facing um, an election next year is really worried about the ratings because America is or has been in the past an unconditional supporter of Israel. And Britain will do whatever America wants. So we have our own prime minister in London, Rishi Sunak, a man whose political career is under immense pressure at the moment, um, having to support America as it supports what people think is a rogue state. And uh, other politicians around Europe are having equally demanding times and they are now starting to roll back on the unconditional support they've given to Israel uh, because the public, the ordinary men and women do not like what they see on their television screens. And we've seen this illustrated in some amazing anti-war demonstrations right throughout Europe um, more than a million people taking to the streets in um, London. Uh, 
the scenes have been amplified and echoed right across the global south, which is looking at us in the west as though we are dirt on their feet because they can see exactly how the Palestinians are being treated. This has been hugely damaging, not just to Israel, but more importantly, to Israel's sponsors and allies. So the whole world is, is really in, in turmoil. The Arab world, which is, although the leaders have uh, taken a different path, has always shown uh, support to the Palestinians right across North Africa, right across the Middle East. Uh, the Arab world has always shown support um, for the Palestinians. And the Arab leaders are now beginning to feel very uncomfortable at the numbers and the sizes of the demonstrations that are taking place. And uh, Israel, which let's remember, isn't the size of a South African game park, is destabilizing the entire world. We've got the Houthi rebels in Yemen who are now forcing um, global trade to find different methods of shipping goods around the world because the Suez Canal is now, and, and coming through the Red Sea is now not seen as a, a safe route. So these trade routes, um, it's, it's costing millions of pounds in lost um, well, in the in the whole cost of diverting huge tankers from around the world and and not letting them go through the Red Sea, and that's just because of the actions of a group of Houthi rebels in uh, in Yemen that are firing missiles and and um, and and uh, hijacking uh, these massive big liners, oil tankers, and, and other commercial shipping uh, from going to Israel. And uh, we have a few minutes left, Yvonne, and I want to get your co final comment on this. And I know you're very active with the ALBA party. There's a new political party and organization in Scotland. Is there a political solution to this? There's a lot of people, Yvonne, that believe that the, there could be a political solution imposed from the United States and Britain for starters, maybe some other European G7 countries as well. It, but can, what what are the dynamics of this? Can this happen in your opinion? How do you see the way forward if we want to get a, a, a ceasefire, et cetera, or, or some sort of a step towards a resolution to prevent this from happening again? What are your final thoughts on, on this going forward? The only solution is a political solution. And that is something that I'm proud to say the Aleppo party recognized Within, um, I think, two days of this war starting, our leader, Alex Salmond, a former first minister of Scotland, called for a ceasefire because he uh, knew and recognised that you can't bring peace through the barrel of a gun. And uh, the only solution to this dilemma is political. 
Um, the bombs are achieving nothing other than a genocide for which Israel will never be forgotten. You know, it, it's uh, this is going to go down in history as a huge stain on the uh, Zionist state. And the fact that so many Jewish people around the world have objected, uh, one of the most stunning acts of protest was carried out by Jews for Peace in a central station in New York, when hundreds of um, Jewish activists and their friends brought the station to a standstill, calling for a ceasefire. This isn't, as I say, a religious war. It's about land, it's about territory. And, um, and anybody who's in any doubt just should look at the content of the demonstrations and they'll see some heroic actions by the Jewish people as well, who know the pain of oppression and tyranny and can recognize it. And they're all saying the same thing. This is not in our name. Do you, do you, and as, as a former journal, or as a journalist, professional journalist, uh, do you see movement in the mainstream media party line on this? Uh, do you think, because that's going to be an important part of this, they have to come uh, to, to to common sense and humanity on this issue. We haven't seen that really yet, but uh, you're, just before we go, what are your thoughts on that, Yvonne? Well, I was listening to Piers Morgan uh, just, I think it was yesterday, and he is changing his uh, attitude and he has moved from the right to the center. I would like to see him go a lot further to the left. But uh, I think that the mainstream media is uh, changing. Um, the drive for impartiality, I think, doesn't do them any justice at all. And, you know, I often recall the words of Archbishop Bishop Desmond Tutu, who said, if an elephant is standing on the tail of a mouse and you are impartial, the mouse will not appreciate your neutrality. You know, there's only one side to be on in this war, and that is the side of the oppressed. And we can all see that the oppressed in this case are the Palestinians. Dr. Yvonne Ridley, we really appreciate you joining us this week uh, on TNT, Today's News Talk. And I'm going to tell everybody you want to follow Yvonne Ridley on X, Twitter as well. Keep an eye on her feed, what she's saying, what she's doing regarding these important issues. But uh, thank you so much, Yvonne, for joining us this week. Thank you. There she goes, ladies and gentlemen, that is Dr. Yvonne Ridley. Look, we're going to take a break right now with the network, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about Finland and Sweden's issue with NATO. Not all is resolved. We'll talk to Mats Nielsen about that in just a few minutes, so stay right there. You should hear what Ross Cameron is talking about. I see there's a new trend taking place, sweeping uh, the internet of what they're calling sort of technology naked walks, where you go for a walk without your iPhone, without uh, a headset, and just alone with your thoughts. Apparently some people are finding it quite emotionally taxing, but subsubsequently liberating. Uh, certainly I find if I get into a motor vehicle with a 
teenager. It's a matter of seconds uh, before there is a request for uh, usually the latest uh, Taylor Swift song or some other form of electronic stimulus. We are generation apparently trained uh, for a very short concentration span and a desperate need for um, digital company. Ross Cameron on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. The is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. They've launched a new service called Wake Up Your Neighbours where you can get copies delivered to the streets right around you if you don't want to do it yourself. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk At the top of the hour, we'll keep on top of the news. It's the most important thing we can do. On today's News Talk, TNT Radio. All right, welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the final segment of the final hour of this live broadcast. What a powerful segment with Dr. Yvonne Ridley before the break. Uh, Her story is legendary, of course. Many of you know her from her uh, work over the years. Very pleased to have her on the program in honor. In fact, uh, look, we're going to change gears a little bit now. I want to welcome onto the show our research assistant for the show, and he's been looking at some important stories that we need to know a little bit more about. You've probably heard him, and now you will see him, Christian James, on the line right now. Christian, how are you? I'm really good. Thank you, Patrick. How about yourself, man? Not bad, not bad. Uh, there's a lot going on in the world right now, Christian. I know that you've got a few things uh, on your docket that you wanted to share with us. Uh, I want to sort of kick it off with with what's going on right now, Russia, Ukraine, USA, a lot of jockeying for position right now. What's the latest? Yeah, and when you say jockeying for position, absolutely correct. There is clearly movement happening behind the scenes that perhaps we're not seeing happening in the public eye. I think what can be seen is a really... We, as the as the viewing audience, as the people who are watching on with this incredible kind of matter that's been happening now for around two years now, um, we are seeing uh, movement happening, but not uh, not perceptionally wise. So what I mean by this is to say that there, if you look across all the mainstream news websites right now, and I, I saw a tweet about this yesterday, and I decided to go investigate myself. And indeed, the war uh, in Ukraine has dropped off the main uh, banner of a number of the United States main news websites, including uh, the New York Times, the Washington Post. I've checked the UK sites as well. The tabloids never really covered it here. But like the Guardian, the Independent don't co- don't have the war in Ukraine at the top any longer. Clearly, that is coming off their agenda. They're trying to backtrack it, perhaps. So there's something happening uh, behind the scenes, perhaps. Uh, we have seen, obviously, Zelensky. He is presently been over in the US. He's clearly wanting to know where his $61 billion is going to come from. But Joe Biden obviously promised it to him a little while ago, and the uh, the Republicans have making that very difficult to happen. That money is not moving anywhere towards in right his direction. But what happened yesterday, and I saw you tweet about it uh, on X, uh, really is Blinken was 
obviously he did a big press report yesterday and part of that uh he made a statement where he said the 90 percent of the money that the u.s allocated to go to the ukraine wasn't it didn't even leave the country 90 percent mm-hmm. stayed in the u.s he actually said and i'll make a quote here it says 90 percent of the security assistance has been spent here supplementing american businesses uh workers and communities so really he's talking about the industrial complex uh, of the war manufacturing system that's in the u.s uh, strengthening our uh, military industrial base so the most of those millions, I mean, we, we now know it's it's close to like 600 billion, some kind of crazy amount of money that's going across, uh, we thought, and, and we've talked about it, uh, where has this money been going? What's it been going on? Where has the corruption been spent, being spent? And it turns out if 90% is an accurate number, I mean, most of the money has actually just been going back into the, the local coffers of the industrial complex in the United States. Um, I, I guess we've talked about in the past about how they um, were selling off, you know, um, aging equipment, you know, aging technologies, um, and they want, of course, to replace them. So when we're talking um, on Monday, there was an interesting uh, photo shoot that happened. There was Zelensky there, and he was there with the chief of Boeing, who was there with the uh, the chief of Lockheed Martin. Big photo shoot. So but clearly they are just sending either obsolete tech, age tech, you know, stuff that perhaps doesn't have its operational um, status anymore. And uh, the US clearly, we've gone, hey, here's all these billions for you, the Ukraine, but what we're actually going to do, we're going to build our next generation systems and we, you might get these down the line. This is what we want to send you. But just that 61 billion figure they were talking about, that's 54 billion what stayed in the United States, um, really, uh, obviously, in the manufacturing system of the industrial military complex. Um, Zelensky has been talking uh, this past couple of days. He has fired his uh, his draft ministers. Um, this is um, Valery Zakharini. Um, he criticized the decision made by Zelensky that all the military draft heads in the Ukraine have been uh, let go due to corruption. Um, what this has meant is Zelensky has gone, we need 500,000 uh, men, uh, obviously, back on the front lines. We need to take Russia back. Uh, we need to kick back, you know, and push them out towards throughout the winter, throughout the spring, throughout the summer. How is that going to happen? We need five hundred thousand uh, men. That's half a million people um, back onto the war machine for what they want to take back. Um, who is going to fund that? Where is that going to come from? We don't know. And perhaps they are actually waiting for the money to come from the US in order to pay these people. I did see um, some local posts from the Ukraine. Um, apparently, they've been drafting in gyms. They've been going into uh, workhouses. Uh, into the construction sites and saying, hey, uh, will you come on board? Will you join the military? Um, you know, we're going to fight for your country and taking now effectively, um, you know, blue collar workers into the front lines. And that's that must be the desperate situation that the, uh, the Ukraine and the uh, finds itself in. Um, but what is a little tidbit of something really interesting is that yesterday there was a tweet that went out and I'll be sure to post it in the TNT chat in just a moment. As a keen-eyed ex-reporter, noticed that there was a flight yesterday that happened at, um, I believe it was two o'clock in the afternoon, where a special uh, flight squadron from Russia went from Moscow. It went to the it went to uh, St. Petersburg and then flew straight to Washington. Um, this clears happened off the channels. The news aren't reporting about it, but thankfully the, the people on X clearly are. I'm looking at the tweet now. It's got like 1.4 million views, and it actually clearly shows the flight itinerary, where it went, what it's done. Clearly, there are political movements happening. Uh, there clearly are discussions happening between Russia and the United States that the news won't report on. Um, and 
clear it's a special envoy that's going over there. This is going to be your high-level diplomats. Um, could be Lavrov. Doubtful going to be Putin, but it's going to be clearly be you know high-level uh, people talking about um, how they're going to resolve the situation in the Ukraine. We've clearly been following this now for close to two years. It needs to come to an end. And what really needs to happen? People just need to get around the table and go. You know, we need to stop. Um, and I think that might well be happening if the money is now drying up. Yeah, I mean, everything you just laid out there, I mean, <clears throat> where are they going to find these 500,000 men? I mean, come on, uh, they, they, you know, who wants to go into the Russian meat grinder on the front line? That's basically what they've been doing. I've also seen that there's reports that Ukrainian uh, soldiers, that the people they are press ganging off the street, a lot of times they're going for like uh, uh, ethnic minorities like Hungarians and Carpathia, Transcarpathia and so forth. Um, they're targeting different sort of people that they believe are sort of, you know, more expendable, you could say, from a, their sort of radical nationalist point of view. But they, they themselves want to stay away from the front line. So they're literally grabbing people off the street, chucking them in there with like literally no training, maybe a rifle, maybe ammunition if they're lucky, someone's old uniform. Uh, and that's been the system. So there, there, there really is no prospects at all for them improving their position uh, militarily. But as you rightly pointed out, Tony Blinken gave the game away, didn't he? That uh, what this is all about, the weapons recycling operation uh, to fill the coffers of the leading defense contractors in the United States. I mean, that's what they've pretty much been doing for the last two years. So finally, they say the quiet part out loud, Christian. Uh, in in Washington, so it, it, I think there's a big uh, panic right now because they know Ukraine's hit the wall militarily. Zelensky's hit the wall politically. Where is he going to end up in in three or six months? Who knows if he'll have fled the country by then or or worse for him anyway. Um, so this whole thing is coming apart very quickly, and so they have to find a way to save face uh, the Democrats into the 2024 election. But this is hugely embarrassing, not just for the Biden administration, but for the United States. This is the biggest proxy war effort ever in history in terms of money and support. And it's been a total failure, Christian. So uh, I, I don't think there's a way to save face on this. I think there's going to be some people that are going to go down hard on this. They could just dump it all on Biden. That's one possible option there but uh we'll see how that how that uh how that pans out but um yeah interesting christian and uh as far as that diplomatic flight we'll see if there's any announcements in the next 24 48 hours and we can correlate with that report that'll be very interesting uh as well yeah i posted so, the link uh, obviously up when you can see obviously the flight the path route that it took you know clearly it went from uh, st petersburg was from moscow to st petersburg and then clearly took a diplomatic envoy to Washington. So clearly high level talks are happening. Now it's just a case of when uh, the US and the Russia will admit what that meeting was, who was involved, and obviously what the, the circumstances and the itinerary of that discussion was. And it's going to be certainly interesting because um, the public faces that the United States, whichever be political party, whether it be the Republicans or the uh, the Democrats, they do not want to admit that we've even spoke to uh, to Russia. Um, they clearly are the bad person. They're the evil person. They are effectively the, the modern day Nazi. We're not allowed to talk to them in any, any kind of capacity. So uh, how will they admit that this happened? And obviously what uh, what happened? Um, so now it's a case of waiting game. It's certainly I hope the press are going to push on this. Uh, obviously, the press conferences in, in the White House. And so also, I know that um, we're going to jump over to 
I know you also had some some commentary on sort of police state issues uh, sure. and and what's happening in Parliament right now. What's the latest there? So really, t- two stories kind of took my uh, took my eye over the last few weeks. Um, so one, once I've browsed down my data here, so uh, Sir Stephen Timms, he obviously is a uh, member of um, the Parliamentary Committee and also as a member of Parliament, of course, he's an MP. Um, so he stood up to basically make some statements and concerns regarding um, a new motion that happened in the Surveillance Act. So what he believes is the case now is that um, it's basically it's a, it's a change of the law that happened quietly on a Friday afternoon the previous week. And he's like, what's going on here? What it appears to be, it's a, it's a new kind of a method of entrapment of information. So what he has said now is that GCHQ, uh, the government, can also pick up information that we thought they could always collect. We've already known that they collect a vast amount of uh, our calls, our video calls, our logs, our IP data, but the police cannot act on it. They cannot use it. They know that it's collected. We all kind of know that, but they're not allowed to say, get a judge um, in there to make that decision happen. So as in, like, if anything they find, they're not allowed to act on it because we didn't know that they got it. That has now changed. So basically they're saying uh, it used to be a gray area, so bots will trawl vast amounts of big data, harvesting trends, keywords, etc. Um, they could already listen to your phone through your IP, um, but they were not allowed to act on it because now they do not need a court order in order to track people. Um, the kind of the way that um, Stephen Tim spoke about this in Parliament is the people it's going to tag first are people who collect a pension. So, which is odd. So basically, everyone <laughs> who collects a pension in the UK will be the first people who will have their data harvested, tracked, trawled officially at any time uh, by any whim without court um, jurisdiction or a um, instigation in terms of investigation. So what this effectively means is everyone really is on that uh, list. Everyone who's going to be collecting a pension in the UK, because that is everyone, um, has the potential. Now, thanks to this kind of clause in there, they are the people they're going to track first, which means that's everyone. Um, so he wanted to clarify this, and uh, it basically was said that they would come back to him uh, regarding that uh, matter. So clearly this has been discussed. When he asked this in open parliament, again, they asked, they would say they'd have to come back to this, which meant that everyone in that parliament at that time, because it was very quiet, this was a, this was like Monday afternoon when this was stated. So perhaps the people who knew that that change had happened wasn't in parliament sitting at that time. So, but since that time, which is now a week, there's been no mention of it so far. That I find really interesting. He's clearly mentioned on a particular day. He got some traction. He it obviously got shared out on Twitter on X quite a lot. And people sharing that particular clip going, hey, what's going on? Um, so really, this is another barrier into our personal freedoms and liberty and now our financial integrity, because we know that they want to look at personal uh, pension data. This clearly is what they're looking after and what they're looking into. And this has now given them the ability to spy and to do that, find out what everyone's spending their money on. And you and I have spoken many times about central bank digital currency, that they roll forward, the digital pound, the digital Aus dollar. Um, this is a way to potentially look and track any transaction. And this is now, we have reached an age of tyranny, of, uh, of overreach. But to clarify, I mean, a, a pension, state pension, isn't a benefit. It's supposed to be based on the contributions of workers that we have accrued over the years. But now, clearly, for their investigation, investigation purposes, um, they want to find out what's going on and what we have done. So that has been the first kind of um, 
information that's come out of Parliament that I've I've been looking at, and and really, I'm going to email Stephen to see what traction's come off that since, uh, but I haven't done so as yet. That's an interesting story, Christian. And it's interesting that you brought those two points. You 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 connected those two important points with the social potential of the social credit surveillance as well. But there's another aspect to this that might even be more insidious, Christian, uh, with regards to pensioners. If you look at the activist profile of a lot of the effective activist movements, like take the anti-fracking movement in the UK, a lot of them are older, retired activists that have been very active and effective uh, in organizing uh, on these big causes and sometimes against the government. The same with the Julian Assange uh, campaign. And, And so these are what they call Jerry activists. They have the time, they have the resources uh, in order to be more active and spend time and commit to these issues. So it's interesting that the state would have uh, some sort of purview to, to, you know, track them first, because these are some of the actually the most politically active, uh, visible and productive activists in the country, retired people. A lot of people don't don't know that, but that's actually true. So I think that's another interesting angle to this, uh, Christian. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That, that, like you said, there is the the Jerry activists. They they've got the time, they've got the money, they've got the resources. They can take time out. They can go sit on these obviously these camps where, well, particularly during the, the fracking campaign, that was um, you went to any of those camps, you know, predominantly without being cruel it was the silvers and they they were there in numbers they they had the time they had the patience um and it mainly it was happening in those rural communities where a lot of them have retired too and their um their assistance was effective you know and you're right that they are certainly going to people that certainly going to be the people they go after first you, you know what else they've got uh in their favor christian as an activist they they're not afraid of getting sacked so they like they they can't be like fired from their job or because of their political position. So and that's one of the benefits of being at that age. Just like you know, they're just saying you know, f it, uh, I'm going to the wall in this issue. So that's interesting too. So um, it, it yeah, I think this is worth keeping an eye on. It just goes to show you, Christian. There's different angles uh, when these types of invasive uh, legislation and state powers come in. There's a lot of different angles that the state can exploit there, and there's a number of different agendas does that they can do it's not just uh for you know one particular issue or you know they're spying on people because maybe they're uh protesting against that policy or this policy there's a whole sort of uh bunch of issues collectively that you when you bring it together you realize actually no um there's a real social engineering aspect to this multiple social engineering aspects to it so that's very interesting i think uh another one to keep a close eye on going forward we got a couple of minutes left, and I wanted to get your latest, Christian, on uh, anything else that you have, but also COP28. Uh, a lot of people regarded this as a total folly this year, and there's been some big announcements, but uh, maybe unrealistic announcements once again. Uh, any Anything you have on COP28? Go ahead. Yeah, actually, so the one thing I'm going to do, I'll drop in the group chat, uh, into the TNT chat, sorry, um, a, an announcement of a project called the Global Tipping Points. Uh, and this was announced at um, COP28, and it really is possibly, um, it's going to be the official reports of what effectively is going to be, how they are going to 
and it says on the page, it's it's going to nudge people into making, and I'll, I'll quote from this, I'm looking at it right now. It says, this is going to be a consolidated report for all those tackling the escalating uh, earth change system. And we need to mobilize the transformative uh, social change in order to alter the trajectory of the future to achieve and promote social justice. And it has four different sections. So they are saying that we need to nudge people. We need to push people's tipping points. And this actually was a whole key psychological program from the from the United Nations down to local government process, a whole top tier, top down to top tier process, but how they are going to achieve that. It's called Positive Tipping Points, and I'll drop that into the chat. It really is quite an incredible document um, and the report they been putting out there so they launched that as a program um, and that was actually launched on the very last day um, and it's like how they are going to achieve what they're going to do um, and people have always wondered and always said well what's their plan how are they going to do it um, this is the the 2023 uh, launched on uh, the 19th of December 2023 this is how they are going to achieve their goal of having a stratospheric change from the top-down government uh, linking a, a the one health system of uh, the one food initiative of uh, the uh, one world government shall we say um, this is it this is this is their plan of how they're going to maneuver um, basically almost NGO like qualities um, from um, vast organizations that are above government interplayed with the, the United Nations um, and basically taking the onus of governments into um, those those corporations and those companies to make these changes happen. And what is within there is everything from food to oil to engineering to uh, development projects to the social um, to the solar arrays that they are looking at building to protect us from social um, from the solar harm. Um, we've always thought that perhaps these are all different aspects that are different. This united document, this tipping points uh, program, puts them all into the same alignment and. Um, Perhaps we've always talked about, would they ever do that? That's pushing the limit, you know, of believability. Well, actually, no, the United Nations at uh, COP29, uh, 28, sorry, did launch this uh, project. New Scientist is carrying uh, data on this now as a as a major um, article this, this week in New Scientist, um, covering about how this is going to be done. And they're talking about its coordinated worldwide policies um, designed to, to trigger tipping points. Uh, we've left it far too late now for incremental action on climate change. We now need to trigger uh, positive tipping points to accelerate actions towards the zero greenhouse gas emissions and how we can make this happen in the quickest possible time. So it is now, um, oh and COP28 did have something very different. Um, it is about ratifying in law and legislation uh, those movements and how they're going to be done. So we've all talked about framework in the past. This is now putting it into law. Um, that is now multicultural, uh, sorry, multinational organizations to get this done. Um, this was really this year was really about signing how we are going to do it and when, as opposed to how we are going to do it. It's very different. And I think when you said there that perhaps it's gone under the radar a bit. This really was a case of uh, maneuvering their framework together uh, on the legislative basis about how they're going to make it happen. And this appears to be uh, achieved. Um, there's a few of the reports I'll post out into the um, the TNT group chat um, about what it, programs they have launched this week uh, that have gone completely under the radar. Hopefully the New Scientist magazine will have some really good kind of um, 
entry-level uh, assessments, accessible documents about how this is going to happen, because these are a lot. These are very te technical uh, documents that have gone out. So I'll post them up okay. in the group uh, under the TNT chat now, so people can have a read, and hopefully we'll get some kind of clarity into them in the future. This, this, this is absolutely horrific. This is basically, they're getting desperate saying no more incremental change, Christian. So we need to do something drastic. Like when you talk about Bill Gates uh, putting his blimp up in the sky, pumping uh, aluminum particulae in the, to reflect the sunlight, all these crazy ideas. Th this is when they get traction, when you get this fanatical thinking right now. So these people are literally tripling down not doubling down they're like literally tripling down this is a danger zone ladies and gentlemen we're getting into the mad period right now uh when it comes to the globalist machinations christian james our research assistant for the show thank you so much for bringing these important stories to our attention thank you very much patrick guys a pleasure as always there he goes, ladies and gentlemen. Look, big thank you to Dr. Yvonne Ridley, who also joined us in the second hour. And also, big thank you to Basil uh, Valentine. Look, we're going to take a break here with TNT, today's news talk. Uh, actually, we're going to wrap it up for today. <laughs> you, know, you might take a break. Top of the hour news headlines coming up. Listen, we'll see you tomorrow for a big show. We have a su another surprise guest tomorrow that I'm excited about talking to. So we'll be here same time, same place. Thank you to everybody in the chat room. See you guys later. All the best. Take care.